0: But we're going to look at chapter 16 of Matthew. We've been in the book of Matthew for a year. Hopefully we'll finish by this fall. But as we come through verses 13 through 20, we, we come to some really hard verses and disputed verses. They really revolve around verse 16. Now let me say this. We're going to look at this today. And there are some things, some teachings, that just aren't worth falling on your sword for. Or thrusting your sword through someone else for. But this is one that is worth falling on your sword for that we're going to look at today. This is the essence of our faith that we're going to look at today. So we're going to begin by reading the passage. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20. It says, When Yeshua came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, Who do you say that I am? And Shimon Kepha answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Yeshua replied, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Yona, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my Kehlat, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone he was the Messiah. And so the obvious statement here is that we're going to be looking at is that he is the son of the living God, that Yeshua somehow was the Son of God, or in some way was God, and this is something that a lot of people just aren't able to accept. They argue that there's one God, and Yeshua cannot be God, because there's one God, and they use the Shema, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, to show that. And they say, if God is one, and there is one God, how can Yeshua be God? How can there be a Son of God? Sadly, of late, we see this in, the mess- in Messianic Judaism. What happens is that with the Messianics is they begin to study Jewish writings, rabbinic writings. And because they don't find the divine Messiah there, they begin to doubt whether there was a divine Messiah. Let me tell you why this happens. It happens because in the last 2,000 years, there's been an effort by the rabbis, to separate the Jewish people from the idea that there was a divine Messiah, that there was going to be a divine Messiah. However, as we've seen many times before, if we look at the ancient writings like the Targums and so forth that we've looked before, we can find that there was a belief that there would be a divine Messiah. We can find it in our messianic writings. We can find it in ancient translations of the Torah. We can still find it in some places like the Midrash Rabban, the Talmud. Even though they've been censored by 2,000 years of reactive Judaism after the destruction of the temple and later the dispersion of Israel from the land by, during the time of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, Judaism became reactive. And one of the things they did react to was the onslaught of Christianity. And because of that, they sought to censor those things that spoke of a divine Messiah, things that would point to Yeshua. Well, obviously, if you begin to read these things and you begin to take them into your belief system, you're going to start to believe the same way. So we're going to look at this today. You all know that the oldest translation of the Bible is the Greek, Septuagint. But what many don't realize is that there's one... There's another that's as old or nearly as old. And it's the Aramaic translations. The word for translation in Aramaic is the word targum. And so these are called the targumim. Targumim being plural. And it is in the targum that we do find the divine Messiah. We're going to look at it today. Let's see what we can learn from this translation uh, by reading about it in the Encyclopedia Judaica. The Jewish diaspora in Babylonia must have exchanged the Hebrew for the Aramaic as its vernacular in only a few generations. In Palestine, the process was much more gradual, but but Aramaic was probably the language of the majority of the Jews by the end of the Persian period. The practice of translating the Bible reading it into Aramaic in the synagogue is attributed to Ezra by Rob who interprets the word Mephorish in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8 to mean interpretation of the Hebrew text of the Bible in Aramaic translation. Both the meaning of the word and the reliability of the account in Nehemiah 8 are subjects of controversy. But at any rate, the custom of interpreting the synagogue reading of the Bible text with the targum after each verse or after each three verses, in the presence of the congregation, so as to permit a translator to repeat it in Aramaic, is attested to in the Mishnah. So we get some interesting information here about the targums. They date the reading of the Targums in the synagogues way back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's because of this verse in Nehemiah chapter 8. It reads this way. So they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And the word that we see there in the NIV that they translated distinctly is mephorish. It means to add clarity. And so this article is saying that as they returned from Babylon, the people of Israel had lost their native language of Hebrew. They had exchanged it for Aramaic. So if you were one of these people and you went to the synagogue to hear the word of God and you spoke Aramaic and it was read in Hebrew, guess what? It was all Greek to you, right? You're not going to understand. And so what they're saying is in the synagogue, as they read the Torah, they translated it into Aramaic as well. Much the same way we do here on the Sabbath with the Spanish in order that the Aramaic-speaking people would be able to understand. Now, the wonderful thing about all of this for us is that the Aramaic was later written down. And in their clarifying the text for the people, they not only translated it into Aramaic, but they added—they took great liberty with the translation. And what I mean by that is they inserted their common understanding of the day into the text. It's filled with Dirach, midrash. You remember from the People of God study that Darash is an interpretation of the text, and so the Aramaic is filled with interpretation. And now the writing down of the Targumim varies in date from the first century, with copies right up into the Middle Ages. But what makes the study of the Targumim so exciting? And one of the, it's one of the very best opportunities we have to look at what the first century believer, the first century Jewish person heard in the synagogues because that's what they heard in the synagogues each and every week. This was the Bible for many first century Jewish people living in the land. The Targumim are an opportunity to get this uncensored look at what was thought about the Bible. If we look at the Talmud and the books of Midrash, we also find first century thought. However, we get first century thought filtered through the lens of modern Judaism. Post-destruction of the temple and the Bar Kokhba rebellion, Judaism was not, is not the same. Modern Judaism is no more first century Judaism than Christianity is first-century Messianic Judaism—they're not the same; they've changed. There's another important feature of the targumim, and that is they use many anthropomorphic terms, and that's a large word that just means they used terms to escape humanizing the God of Israel. When the Torah would come to a place that would humanize the Lord they would use another term like Shekinah, which means dwelling presence, or Memra, which we're going to look at today, the term we're going to be looking at. And it's a word that means literally the word. And we find some of our proof that Yeshua is indeed deity in this word Memra. So let's look at an instance of this term Memra. And before we do, understand that Memra is an Aramaic word, which means literally the word. It means literally the word. So Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 reads this way. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, where it says Lord in the verse, we have the ineffable name, yud Vavhe. That's what's written in the scroll. Some pronounce it Yahweh, but where it says, Almighty, we have the term El Shaddai. Okay, so here's the deal. The Aramaic translators had a problem with the Father, in other words, the totality, the fullness of God appearing to Abraham. It only makes sense because we're told that you can't see God and live. And so they used a term that would not seem as if the totality of God appeared to him, so they translated it this way in the Targum. And when Abraham was 90 years and 9 the memra of the lord was revealed to abram and said to him i am the god of the heavens serve me in truth and be thou perfect in good work and so we get some things here in this verse which are notable first we get this term called memra which means the word and so in essence it's saying that the memra the word was revealed to abraham And said, I am the God of the heavens. And the word memra is the God of heavens. The word, the memra is the God of heavens is what it's saying. And notice the NIV says, walk before me. And that word walk in Hebrew is halak. You all heard the term halakha. The Mishnah is filled with halakha. How to walk out the commands of God. How to live out the Torah or serve God. And the Targum, that's why the Targum says, serve me in truth. The same thing. And the Targum says, perfect in good works. Being perfect in good works, being perfect requires good works. Amen? Compare those words with the, with the words of Yeshua to a young man who asked him, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Yeshua said, if you want to be perfect, do good works. And then he named the good works. He said, sell all you have and give it to the poor, then follow me. And so what we see here, if one wants to take the time to examine the text of the Targum, is very much first century thought and very much the words of Yeshua. Let's look at another one, 17 verse 2. Let's read another verse. It says, and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And now let's read the Targum. It says, and I will establish my covenant between my Memra and you. And will multiply thee exceedingly. And so, according to this ancient translation, according to the Targum, the agent of the covenant between Abram and God is the Memra. I will make my covenant between my Memra and you. Let's go to Exodus chapter nineteen at the giving of another covenant. Nineteen and verse five. It says. Now, therefore, if ye will hear my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let's see how the Targum translates it. Now, if you hearken to my, through the voice of my Memra and observe my covenant, you shall be to my name a beloved people as a special possession from all nations, because all the earth is mine. And you shall be to my name kings, priests, and a holy nation. These are the words. You shall speak with the children of Israel. And so what we have here is, is again, the first century Aramaic speaker, when he went to the synagogue, heard his rabbi say of Exodus chapter 19, he would hear that the memra was the voice that he should hearken to. He's the agent of the covenant at Sinai, was to be the Memra. And we could take this a step further and say that the voice that they heard from Mount Sinai was indeed the Memra. Because the very next chapter says he speaks from the mountain. So what do we have here? We have this term Memra for one who was the agent of God. It literally means the word. We have the Memra being the agent of the covenant between Abraham. We have him being the agent of the covenant with Israel at Sinai, the intended agent. And so to the ancient translators of the Torah in Aramaic, he was the agent of the covenant. Now to anyone who's familiar with the prophet Isaiah, the phrase, I will establish my covenant between my" where it said my memra and you, this would immediately take them to chapter 49 of Isaiah, where it talks about a new covenant. Listen to what it says. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. The kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you, this is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. In the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant. covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances. What we have in this passage is that the Lord says that the one who will be despised by the nation of Israel will be raised up and be made a covenant for the people. Of course, this is a messianic passage, and so what it's saying is the Messiah would be despised he would be abhorred by the nation and then raised up. Hmm. Whose description does that sound like? Very interesting, right? The point is this. Isaiah saw that the Messiah would be the agent of the covenant for the people. The Targum saw the Memra would be the agent of the covenant. And so we're starting to see to the first century Aramaic speaking Jew, they would see the Memra at Sinai speaking from the mountain. They would see him as the agent of the covenant at Sinai. And they would see the Memra as the agent of the covenant made with Abraham. And the reason they would have seen this is that's what their rabbis told them. By comparing the agent of the coven- uh, that agent with the agent of the new covenant, we can see that the Memra is linked to who? The Messiah Yeshua. And all of that is good, but let me ask you this. Does that really prove that he's deity? Maybe not. But there is one thing that would prove overwhelmingly that Messiah is deity. And what would that be? Well, it's really easy. If he were the creator of the earth. If Messiah was at creation and had his hand in creation and spoke with Abraham and spoke from Sinai and was the agent of the covenants, I think that we could uh, begin to conclude that he's deity. Amen? Well, let's look at the translation. Let's go to Exodus, or Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. First from our translation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw that the light was good and he separated light from darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Notice it says that God created the heavens and the earth. And that's something that we all understand. But let's look at what the first century Jew would have heard in the synagogue. This is the Targum. In the beginning with wisdom, the memra of the Lord created and perfected the heavens of the earth. The earth was waste, unformed, desolate of man and beast, empty of plant cultivation, and of trees and darkness was spread over the face of the abyss. And the spirit of mercy from before the Lord was blowing over the surface of the waters. And the Memra of the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light according to the decree of the Memra. And the Memra of the Lord separated the light from darkness. And the Memra of the Lord called the light day time. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning in the order of the work of creation the first day. And so to the translators of the Targum, the Memra of the Lord, or we could say the Word of the Lord, created the heavens and the earth. Imagine that. It was the Word that created the heavens and the earth, according to the translators of the Targum. This is what the Aramaic speakers would have heard their rabbis speak on Simcha Torah. Or in the first reading of the Torah cycle, the word, the Memra, created the heavens and the earth. Now, I want to look at another writing from the first century, written by a first century Jew, a simple fisherman, if you will, from the Galilee, who was more than likely one of those Aramaic speakers because that was definitely the language of the Galilee. And this is one who would have heard this in the synagogue. He was an Aramaic speaker, and he he writes this for us in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light that shines in darkness, but darkness has not understood it. And if we skip down to verse 14, it says, And the word, the Memra, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here, John lays out a revelation that's found nowhere else in the Gospels. John, undoubtedly an Aramaic speaker, teaching us, what he'd learned in the synagogue, and then identified the memra for us. The memra of the Lord was Yeshua. He was the one who was at creation. It was he who was the agent of the covenant with Abraham. It was he who was the agent of the covenant at Sinai and who spoke from Sinai. He was born into this world, into the flesh, in the first century and walked among his people and upon his creation. Now, if he's the one creating, if he was the one revealed to Abraham, if he was the one speaking from Mount Sinai, was he deity? Well, I submit to you that the Memra was the deity that Abraham and Israel knew through their interaction. The agent of the Father in heaven. Let's read just a little bit further in Genesis. First in our NIV, verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters that separate the water from water. And God made the expanse and separated the water from under the expanse from the water above it. And so it was, God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and morning, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let there the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear and so it was god called the dry ground land and gathered the waters he called seas and god saw that it was good and now let's read the targum of the same passage and the memra of the lord said let the firmament let there be firmament in the midst of the waters let it be separate from the lower waters from the upper waters. And the Lord created the firmament and separated the waters that were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament. And so it was according to his memra. And the memra the Lord called the firmament heaven. And there was evening and morning in the order of the work of creation the second day. Now I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I think you should start beginning, beginning the idea, the picture here. The memra. Created all things brought all things into creation. He was with God He was God and by him all things are created And that's what exactly what John told us John is saying that all things were created through the Memra Just as the Targums do and then John takes it a step further. He tells us who the memory is It's Yeshua the Messiah. He became flesh. He dwelled among us and not only that He's saying that the Memra is God, just as the Targums do. Let's get two more verses here. I want to skip to verse 16 of Genesis. I'm just going to read the Targum in this instance, in these next verses. And the Memra of the Lord created two great lights, the greater light to rule the daytime and the lesser light to rule the night. And the arrangement of the stars and the glory of the Lord set them in the firmament of the heavens to shine upon the earth and to rule in the daytime and in the night to separate the light from darkness. And then in verse 28, it says, and the glory of the Lord blessed them and the memory of the Lord said to them, be strong and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fishes of the sea, the birds of the air, uh, birds of the heavens and over every wild beast that creeps upon the earth. And I want you to know that the memra and the glory of the Lord are used almost interchangeably, reflecting again the words of John. Listen to what he says. He said, what did he say? He said, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Where did John get this revelation? Where did he get this revelation? Where did he receive it? Well, he heard it in the synagogue as the Torah was read in the tongue of the people. In the Aramaic. And when he heard the Aramaic. The spirit of God witnessed the truth of those words to him. As the spirit of God witnesses the truth of his word to us each week. And Yeshua while he was with him. Witnessed the truth of that to him as well. And I want to go to Luke uh, chapter 25. And look at uh, something that happens after Yeshua's resurrection. I want you to notice That's verse 25 of Luke chapter 24. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And from the beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I want you to notice that even with all of this, he had to explain to them because they had failed to see in scriptures. So he begins with Moses And he gives them a rundown of where it's spoken that he will suffer and enter in his glory. Remember, we read one of those places in Isaiah just a few minutes ago, that he would be despised and abhorred. And so evidently from this passage, the fact that Messiah had to suffer and die was not clearly taught, it was not clearly portrayed, but the deity of the Messiah was. These teachings uh, uh, of His suffering weren't being taught, Yeshua would uh, not have, if, if they were, he wouldn't have to explain them. So, listen, folks, there's one thing that should be clear to each and every one of us who's ever found the Messiah Yeshua. Everyone who's heard the message of Messiah Yeshua and been touched by the Spirit of God had his mind renewed, and that one thing is Yeshua is the Son of God. And when Shimon Kepha said, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He knew what John in the Targumim had so eloquently stated because he too had heard what was spoken in the synagogue. He too knew the memra in the creation narrative, the memra in the story of Abraham, the memra in the Sinai experience. And when he heard those things, the father through his spirit touched his heart and the words became truth to him that Yeshua is the memra, the word, He's the son of God who is with God at creation. And so Yeshua responds, blessed are you, Shimon bar Yonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Kepha, on this rock, I will build my Kehillah. You see the foundation of Yeshua's Kehillah, the ecclesia of Yeshua, or what we call church, the foundation of our new covenant is that everyone will know this foundational piece of that new covenant. It's that everyone will know this foundational piece. It will be their heart's cry, the foundation upon which they stand. Yeshua is the son of the living God. And that he is the one who interacted with Israel. He is the God that Israel knew. And so the next time you hear a messianic leaving the faith for rabbinic Judaism, the next time you hear someone tell you that Yeshua is not the Son of God, and I'm going to return to the teachings of the rabbis, the teachings of the fathers, you can tell them you're not returning to the teachings of the fathers because the fathers taught that Messiah was deity. And Messiah was with God at creation you're not returning to the teachings of the fathers. No, you're leaving the faith of Abraham. You're leaving the faith of Isaac and Jacob, who are the fathers. And you're turning away from the faith of the fathers, and you're turning to rabbinic Judaism. And I'll tell you something else about those who say Yeshua is not deity. And that is, if the foundation of the Kihalat is Yeshua, is the Son of God, and if you don't believe it, Then they are not, if they do not repent, going to be part of Yeshua's Kehilat. Sadly.